and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is singer-songwriter Heather Nova. Now, Heather just released her latest album, Pearl. It is really, really good. We talk about just her expectations for the album and just the music business as a whole now, her songwriting process. And I first became a fan of her 25 years ago already with her album Oyster. It is fantastic. I think that's where most fans first discovered her. And unfortunately, she never got big in the U.S. And we talk about that during this interview. She also had a fascinating childhood that we get into. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Heather. I want to start with Pearl because it's, it's fantastic. It just came out last week. And um, has your process changed, like songwriting or just putting together an album since, like, Oyster? Um, well, actually, what's, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. Um, what's fascinating to me is that no, <laughs> the process <laughs> hasn't changed. Like, I feel like there's this kind of um, well or spring or something coming from somewhere else that's, that's songs. And so when I kind of, like, open the gates, these songs just start to come. And when I say open the gates, I mean, because when I'm touring, um, I don't write. Okay. I, I, I kind of need to be alone. I need to be in nature and um, to really connect uh, with myself, I guess. And, right. Um, so, but, but I, I feel that, yeah, so the songs, the inception, the inspiration for a song kind of comes to me. And I feel like it's sort of coming from elsewhere, and I'm, I'm not sure what that is. But um, so then I follow that uh, that thread, so to speak, and I, I kind of then comes the craft of the songwriter, where you know I I go from the verse to the chorus, and I it's, it's half you know the way a painter will stand back from his canvas and look at where the painting's leading him. It's kind of like that with songwriting. Like I, it's half about me crafting and it's half about standing back and listening to what is coming and just working with that and being intuitive and um really just modeling it like clay you know molding it and sculpting it until it feels really right right so like i'd imagine you probably write more songs than you release on each album do you have yes you don't really have like a, a goal amount of songs to write per album do you no, and I don't even set out to write an album. It's just that there are periods of times when I write, and right. during those periods, you're right. I, I, I come up with many more songs than I end up releasing, so it's really about um, you know, being selective and, and deciding what I want to release, what I want to put out into the world, which ones are the best. You know? And that's usually pretty apparent to me, which ones are the best. And interestingly, they are the ones that come the quickest. Right. So the ones that I labor the most on and work a long time on they're they're usually not not as good as the ones that come in an hour right you know and i've spoken to many artists and that they say the exact same thing you know the biggest hits the most well-known songs are the ones that come you know so easy and they're you know they're written within under an hour so it's 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 definitely a theme it's very it's a very cool process because of its because of the inability to pin it down and formulate it. And, and that's what I love about it. There's this kind of mystery element, you know, that's why they call it the muse. Right. Um, that you aren't completely in control of. And, and I guess I enjoy that. Yeah. So speaking of like muses, do you like kind of are inspired 
by different things by each album, or is it kind of generally the same? Kind of, I guess you could say they're kind of snapshots of where I am in my life at right. that time. Okay. What I'm, what I'm wrestling with internally, what I'm observing, what I'm going through in my, um, in my life. And so songwriting has become a way of processing and kind of trying to even, even turn the difficult things into something beautiful. And um, yeah, they're just, I think they're kind of like a record of where I am at each stage of my life. Right, so if you look back, say, at like Oyster, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary, which is you know, amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you look at those songs and it's like, wow, I'm like a completely different time in my life. Can you still relate to those songs? I can relate to them, but it's almost like I'm relating to a young girl who um, is somebody else, but it's also me. It's hard to describe, but I mean, I guess as anyone would look back at their younger selves from 25 years ago, you kind of have a sort of sympathy for that person. You're sort of like, oh my gosh, you were really young and, <laughs> um, you know, <clears throat> going through a lot. And um, so, so I do relate to the songs. I relate to them intensely as a, as a specific period of my life. Yes. Right. Now, speaking of like you know, fantastic songs, uh, Pearl, uh, the the lead single, which the first album, first song off the album, "The Wounds We Bled," fantastic song. I mean, I got immediately sucked in within the first couple seconds. And as I'm listening to it, but I listened to it a couple of times since you sent it to me, I was trying to figure out. It sounded very familiar, like trying to the theme of a certain artist. And what I came up with it was like very Fleetwood Mac, "Dreams Us." Shut 
mean, great. And thank you for your kind words about the song. That's one of my favorites on the record. And it's just, you know, it's so much, it's so exciting and so much fun when you take an acoustic song. You know, I go into the studio right. with all my songs finished, but just on an acoustic guitar. And it's so uh, wonderful to go in and realize you have the right people, the right team together to bring it to life in a way that transcends just the acoustic song. And I think this this one's a great example. And and yeah, the, like the rhythm section on it with um, youth's really cool sort of like dirty twangy bass. And right. That, the, the, the drums are amazing. And yes, it does have that feel. So it's nice that you um, picked up on that. Yeah, and speaking of youth, uh I guess you kind of reunited with him since this is the first time since you since Oyster is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, he actually produced two songs on my second record, Siren, oh, as well. But the first time since then, and um, it was really interesting to come back together again and work together because we really hadn't seen each other since then. Right. Um, so I was like, well, you know, we will have both evolved a lot and mm. gone through a lot, and um, but what was cool was it it was we were the same in a way I mean we were both I guess more experienced but the dynamic between us was the same in the sense that we come from very different backgrounds I mean he's like the bass player in a punk rock band Killing Joe right, right. and obviously a, a producer of many different kinds of records everything from The Verve to Jesus and Mary Chain you know to um, Paul McCartney but but we come from different backgrounds, and I like the way that kind of clashes in the best way, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, if I come from kind of um, folk rock singer-songwriter, and he comes from punk rock, um, you know, bass player, there's, it, it, it creates um, a cocktail that just right. works. It has that kind of dirtiness, but the ethereal thing as well, and um, so yeah. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a a great mixture, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, all the best, you know, with you know the album, totally. Um, Now, I first discovered you, uh, you know, through Oyster, and I was at a Tower Records. May they rest in peace. Um, Those were the days when you could listen the listening posts. Absolutely, exactly, exactly, and those were fantastic. You can spend hours there, and you know, just discovering great new music, and they had. Oyster was featured there, and you know I'm not gonna admit I was drawn by the cover. You know you were a very attractive artist, and you know the music was was fantastic. So I I immediately bought it and became a fan. I guess in 25 years now. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, those were those were different times when you could go to a record store. I mean, I guess now you can browse on Spotify, but right. The thing is, is that the thing I hate about Spotify is that the first button you see when you when you're about to play a record is shuffle and that kind of that, that annoys Agreed. me because as artists we create a body of work where we spend like a lot of time and attention to um sequencing the album and taking the listener on a journey so when you press shuffle you kind of just you know negate that whole right that whole form. yeah and and as a listener you, you can immediately tell that it's not part of an album. It's 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 it's, it's very I think very strange. So. Yeah, I think, but maybe not. Maybe for the younger generation, right. I don't know. Someone was saying the younger generation don't really care about who they're listening to. They listen to playlists and right, they don't really bother checking out who it is. But they're just like, yeah, that was nice. So I, I don't really know. I'm I'm lost in the landscape of uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Of yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm completely old school. I like album. You know, front to back, and I miss. You know, now they have Spotify and all those apps where you can just 
hold up your phone and you can he kept the song. I kind of missed the chase of finding a song, you know, the, the title, you know, or finding it in a record store. I miss those days. Right, like hearing it on the radio, tracking it down, exactly. and then buying CD, you know, which was like a valuable thing because you, you spent your money on it. And then it's like a tactile thing, you right. know, holding your hands and read the artwork, but yeah, an old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I have like thousands of CDs in my house and I don't even have a CD player anymore. <laughs> oh. No, me too. You I know. have thousands and I don't have a CD player. Exactly the same. Yeah, and like a laptop now doesn't even have, you know, the disk drive. It's like, it's it's crazy, but I'm not getting rid of the CDs. It's like, I, you know, I spend so much money and each one was like kind of like a journey to yeah. find and, you know, they each tell, you know, a different story. Totally. Yeah. So with Oyster, I, it was like a, such a fantastic album and it really puts you on the map, but, and I don't want to, you know, like offend you or anything like that but (laughs) but it didn't really i mean it should have made you a much bigger star in the u.s that's what they tell me right (laughs) (laughs) but you know you take what you get and and um i sure yeah maybe but like i've had a long career i feel really lucky to still be making records and i've had a good um a really good career in Europe, and and that's right. really down to where I put the time in. You know, okay. I did um, after my third record, South. Um, right. My I lost my record deal over in the states, and I didn't really pursue another one because um, I was to have a baby, and I was like, I don't think I can tour all over the place all at once anymore. And I just focused on Europe, and so. Um, that's where I kept going back to tour and that's where, you know, I kept a stronger following because of, of that. Right. Um, but, you know, that's what I had to do at the time. I was a new mother and stuff. Um, but I kept releasing albums. I, this is my 10th album, actually. So I right. kept releasing right. albums and touring in Europe. But, you know, with this one, um, my son's 15 now okay. and um, I have a lot more time. and. I want to tour more and I want to come back to North America and try to build something again because I know that there are people like yourself who might remember Oyster and um, and maybe some of the other records and yeah, so I, I, I hope to build something up. Right, and I remember like with Oyster and then Siren, a lot of your music was like licensed out to like shows and you know, you, you would hear a lot of your songs and like hearing like London Rain. Somebody needs 
You hear like a lot of these songs, so I, I think you would definitely have you know a following. Yeah, well, I came back there um, like three years ago and did a small tour, okay. and it was so wonderful. Right. I mean, I, I was only playing to like three hundred people or something okay. each night, but but just the the incredible um, stories I would hear from those people who said, you know, I've been your music's been with me for the last twenty years, and it's meant this and it's meant that, and I've had like people tell me they played it at their mother's funeral or like at their wedding or I even met a woman who said she played um siren at the birth of her daughter which was like <laughs> that oh, was wow. the first right <laughs> so I mean the, this is to me what it's all about is this connection that music makes and so even if it's if, if I'm playing small clubs like that that's meaningful to me to come back and um, tour again right and then now I mean like I guess there are positives now of how the world is, and I guess one thing now would be like the crowdfunding for your albums, and I'm sure you do that. So it's like one way to kind of get closer to your fans. I like that actually. I really do. I like social media for that reason. In the old days, you know, you'd be signed to a record label, you had no connection with your right. fan. Um, so yes, I like having that interaction. Yeah. Now, how much, like, when you were on, like, your major label for, like, Oyster and Siren and then uh, South, how, like, much input did the record companies have? Yeah. Well, they would, you know, you'd kind of make the record and then you'd go into the A&R guy's office and they'd be like, wow, we don't hear a single. Right. Um, with Oyster, it wasn't like that um, because I made it. Uh, independently and then licensed to the major. Okay. Um, but with Siren, it was it was a bit like that. On on South, that, that's a great example of how yeah. I felt like the integrity of the album kind of got taken from me because they were so de they you know they so wanted a hit for right. me that they were putting pressure on me to work with various different producers. They were flying me to LA to work with this guy in Sweden to work with that guy and. You know, and it was just like I was losing the focus of my record, and so that's the good thing about um, about not getting yeah. a big advance from a record label right. anymore is that I have control, and I just make the record I want, and total creative control, and I'm not really concerned about um, making singles. I just make an album, and then if one of them comes out sounding like it might sound cool on the radio, then great. Right. Like, yeah, speaking of South, I mean, that's like a perfect example of how you mentioned before about hitting shuffle because there's really no flow to that album, I feel. Exactly, exactly. It just doesn't sound cohesive. It's yeah. like a bunch of different tracks with different sounds. And um, it was, I learned a lot from that process. Right. I'm, I'm sure you did. I'm, I'm definitely. Yeah. How, um, how did you get Brian Adams? Um, well, Brian and I have been friends for a long time. He actually got in touch with me when he first heard Walk This World, which was okay. in the mid 
mid nineties. Yeah. And, um, invited me for tea. <laughs> so, um, we both lived in London at the time and I went over to his place and, you know, he was just super sweet and encouraging and, um, we've had a, a great friendship ever since. So I had played him, um, some of South that I had already recorded, including like lovers do. And he was like, wow, this is a great song. should be a hit and he said I want to reproduce it for you so I, I went into his studio with him and his engineer and we re-recorded it um but I yeah so that was that was great he's, uh, he's a super nice guy yeah I can imagine I had a uh, Jim Valens on a few months ago his uh, songwriting yeah. companion and yeah it was tremendous just hearing all the stories about his his hits and you know all the other songs was was really enjoyable for me well, he's a really nice guy, and he's also such a hard-working musician. Right. I mean, um, he tours for 10 days of every month. I guess you probably heard that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, um, yeah, he's a super nice guy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I'm trying to think where we left off here. 
now you, you had when when South was out, um, you had like was Virus of the Mind was that really the single that they were trying to push? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, and um, I don't know, it was it was very poppy. The whole album just felt yeah. a bit poppy to me. It didn't, yeah. Right. Yeah, it was. I don't know. Maybe it was trying to kind of turn you into something that you really weren't. Yeah, it exactly. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like, yeah, in, yeah. And like in the mid '90s, the, it, it was a great, you know, great time for like you know the uh, female singer songwriter with you know mm-hmm. Tori Amos, Cheryl Crow, you know Sarah McLaughlin, all of them. But y- you seem a little different because you kind of had like your own band as well. Yeah, no, I'm very much. I mean, my live gigs were very much band yeah. rock rock band situations, and um, yeah, that was a big part of of my career and, and still is. I mean, I've released three lives. <laughs> my dogs. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've released three live albums because it's a really, it's yeah, it's a really important part of being an artist to me is playing live with a band. Right, yeah, and you definitely hear it on like, Sugar.
get that energy. You know, yeah. that cannot produce in a studio. And I've tried. This has been one of my challenges is to create that energy. And maybe on a few of the tracks on this new record, we get it. Like on um, Some Things Just Come Undone. Right. Um, or All the Rivers. I, you know, that's what I'm always chasing down is that live, live energy. Yeah. Because I'm sure you feed off the crowd. Well, you that's perform, it. I, yeah. I mean, that's why you it's hard to reproduce because it's an intangible thing. It's something right. that, that the, you know, a, a culmination of the music, but the energy from the crowd for sure. Right. And then um, you kind of rebounded nicely with um, with Storm and you kind of worked with a band. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Mercury Rev. Yeah, that was a really great experience. You know, it was, um, they were a band I knew in London because um, we had been at in the early days on the same indie label in in the UK, and um, so I kind of vaguely knew them. And then, and I loved their albums, and so I just asked them if they'd be up for, you know, producing the record. So it was like my songs with them playing on it, and um, so we did that in upstate New York. Um, up at Alaire Studios, and it was an amazing experience because there was a tremendous blizzard okay. for the whole time, and we were literally snowed into the studio, right? And couldn't get down the mountain. So that, you know that kind of thing is very conducive to, <laughs> to making. Good of music. course, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I I went to school up in Buffalo in college and lived up there for a couple of years, so I, you know that's that's where I discovered them because you know they're from that area. Very cool band. Yeah, absolutely. They're. They're another one that they should have been bigger than they really were. Mm-hmm. I felt, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we're maybe we're all just late bloomers. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I mean, the music's still out there. That's the thing, you know. It's exactly. it, it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what was your experience like on the little affair? Oh, tremendous! I mean, such a fun time. Just um, that there was a real feeling of um, camaraderie and and support between all the women Um, and just it was summertime I mean I love playing festivals I love the vibe everybody Mm -hmm. outdoors and um, but there was there was a really great energy to that that festival no doubt right yeah that's that's one thing I wish I would have seen it was it was always when it was around something that I you know I I couldn't get to or it was unavailable but I was a big fan of all those artists I interviewed you know a bunch already so Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, they'll do like a 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary soon. Cause I think that'd oh, be fantastic. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I love um, playing festivals in general. Right. I, I play a few in Europe, and um, there's just something so exhilarating about about. Um, I'm so sorry about those dings. That's okay. <laughs> My son's texting me. Oh, okay. Which is a fair thing. I should I should be you know. You should be happy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do like playing festivals. I've played, you get to play amazing locations, you know, I've been on a mountaintop in, in Switzerland or in a, in a beautiful old town square in Belgium. And, um, and so it, it always feels like a real privilege to play those, those situations. Right. Now, like, you know, you've written so many songs, you're so prolific at it, but you've done amazing covers as well. I just want to talk about a couple of them. I recently did a show, we did like a top, uh, like soundtracks, 90 soundtracks of all time, and you did a cover of Peter Gabriel, I Have the Touch, for, oh, yeah, yeah, for right. the craft. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I absolutely love that version.
That was fun. You know, it's funny the covers thing because I just really just do them now and again in a live setting or something. But they, they really become popular, and you know, 
uh, people have said I should do a whole album of covers and yeah I'd like to but the thing is I'm writing so many new songs of course it's hard, yeah. it's hard to think about doing that right yeah. yeah but it's always fun to interpret a song I mean I like to um, take something and just really take it to a different place that's the challenge to me you know I did an acoustic cover of the Bee Gees staying live which I turned into kind of a haunting acoustic right song and then I did I'm on fire like a hurricane and I don't know if you've heard uh, my Norwegian Wood cover that on out there on Spotify too yes I did yeah yeah as well as Wicked Game which is Wicked Game exactly yeah, yeah. that's the only one I ever put on an album I always feel like when I hear, feel like a you hear like a female interpretation of a male song, yeah. it, it just gives it like a different dynamic, and it, you know, especially like a song like Wicked Game, which is a very like you know, sexy song. It, yeah, although I kind of wish we'd done the music slightly different. It's 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 a bit too true to the original music. The um, the backing track right. is, but yeah, when you when you are a woman singing a man's song, it gives it a whole new perspective. Right. Absolutely. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to go back to like your childhood, which I think is kind of really fascinating. Um, 
How long did you and your family like live like on the boat? Um, so it was about ten, and I was really uh, on the boat just for a few years, but permanently. But they were um, on there for ten, ten years. Yeah. So because I went, I went away to school at a certain point, right. but it was a wonderful experience, and I think that. It's you know it's a, when I look back at it it's it's so different to when you're in it but when I look back at it I think the the thing it did was um, I think it was humbling it's like when you when you go to sea and you're like you know you don't have any electricity you're rolling around you're hmm. having to get up and do your watch in the middle of the night right. and you you know you're living out of tin food or fish or and, and so it's like you're roughing it, right? And there's no um, convenience, there's no entertainment, there's no um, luxury whatsoever. And so, and you're faced with the power of nature, the ferocity and the beauty of nature. And I think it makes you realize how small you are. Right. <laughs> I think it's a really good thing as a kid to realize um, because you never, you never feel entitled after that. And I think it instills a kind of gratitude or something. Um, and the other thing I think it did was that, um, you know, forced me to be creative because when okay. you're, when you're, when there's no entertainment, there's no TV, there's no nothing, right. you're kind of forced to find your own way to, um, keep yourself busy. And for me, that was, uh, writing and, and playing music. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe that there was a time without smartphones, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And in those days, I mean, it sounds like I'm really old, which I guess I almost am. But oh, stop. Um, in those days, <laughs> um, you know, there was no GPS for, of course. for boats. My dad yeah. was navigating with a sextant. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, taking readings off the, yeah. the sun position and stuff. And um, when you were out of sight of land, you were out of touch completely. Right. There was no satellite yeah. phone, nothing huh. like that. So, yeah. were, were there any, like, kind of, like, difficult times out there? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, storms and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nothing like that puts you guys in like extreme danger. Or? Um, I mean, the thing is, as a kid, you don't really know how much danger you're in right. because you see your, your father as this godlike of course, person yeah. to protect you who built the boat, so yeah. you know you're safe. So there were probably times when he was like, <laughs> get scared but wasn't letting on, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, did, I'm sure you didn't have really a say that you guys were going to go on the boat, but were you like up, were you excited about it when you first did it? No, I was not excited <laughs> about it. I was like very happy in our house on right. the land with my friends and my school. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, but um, that's why I say looking back at it. And actually once we got going, of course we had an amazing adventure. Um, but I think kids really like conformity a lot of the time and they want to be like everybody else. Right. And, um, yeah. So. Yeah. So then, after you know, coming back to shore, you went to the states, right, for school. Yeah, yeah. So I went to school in Vermont for a few years, um, up in Putney, Putney School, and then I I went to um, art school. I went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. And you were you going for? Like songwriting, music. What, what was? Um, no, I did visual arts. I oh, did okay. Painting. I did painting, and I actually did filmmaking. Um, and it was in the process of taking filmmaking classes that I was kind of like, you know, more into making soundtracks and 
than the films themselves. And then when I graduated from RISD, I um, I just realized, you know, uh, I this is not my passion. My my passion is really songwriting because I've been writing for a long time, yeah. but just never really playing it for anyone. And I just I had this kind of what does Oprah call it? Your aha moment, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And I realized, you know what? I've got to, I've got to follow this. Like this is what feels mm-hmm. in my gut, like what I'm here to do. And I had no idea, zero idea where to start. I had no musical training except that I'd played the violin. Okay. Um, but it was just in me, and it was, um, it, it felt natural. So, I, yeah, I took a chance. Yeah. So then, how, um, like, how did you land like your first record deal? So I um, I moved to London actually after college to stay. I went to visit a friend who was who was staying over there and ended up um, took my guitar, my demo tape that I'd made, um, just me and my acoustic guitar, um, a few songs, and I went over to London and started getting some gigs just acoustically, and ended up staying for 15 years because um, after a few shows somebody saw me or heard me at a, at a show and um, and you know told my the person who was to then become my manager about me and one thing led to another so um, yeah I was lucky I was I was signed within within a few months to the indie mm. label big cat that I put out my um, first live record on Right, which which is you know very enjoyable. It's, it's still holds up to this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it, it's great. So, like, what would be like the biggest difference between like being like on major label to like what you are now? Well, I think just like what we touched on before, which was the cr- creative control. Right. I mean, obviously, it's tougher now because you know you don't get the financial yeah. backing. Um, so that's a major difference. Um, it, it's tough these days to survive as a singer-songwriter. It, it really is. And um, so, you know, that was the golden era when, when you had big advances from record labels. Right. And I'm sure lots of artists still do. But when you're an independent artist, that's gone. So, um, but like I said before, I, I enjoy my um, creativity and having control over that. It's just worth it. Right. So, like, like, what would be like the like now like the goal for putting, say, Pearl? Like, what's like the goal for you? Is it just to get it out creatively? Because I mean, it's ha- weird. It's like sometimes I I think that to myself. I'm like, what is my? I just get so much excitement, fulfillment, satisfaction out of creating an album, and, uh, right. and it's like I've gone into debt making this album, but I I feel so excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like it's just making something that you feel is beautiful is the most fulfilling thing in the world. And I, so I guess my hope is that it will go out into the world and connect with people. And I hope that it will lead to touring opportunities um, and that that will continue and, and that I can continue. Yeah, hopefully. And hopefully you'll find your way back to the States because yeah, I mean, you have I, a nice little, uh, you know, cult following. <laughs> which well, I've been into, into action already by, by licensing the record out to a, a an indie label there and um so you know I'm, I'm really working on that and i do hope to come back to the states and tour very soon right uh, that's great now probably yeah. like my favorite album of yours is still it's still definitely uh, 300 days at sea oh wow that's yeah. cool tell yeah. me why yeah i just like 
I, I don't know. I just the, the songs kind of resonate with me on uh, on those, and it's just like, especially you know, we mentioned before, you listen to Spotify and you hear like a shuffle. And I think that album should just be listened like as a whole. Yeah. And it just like you know, beautiful ride. You know, it starts off and it's it's, it's a fantastic. And they're all great, but I, I, yeah, I think Higher Ground is probably my favorite. Okay. Um, which is, I don't know if other artists do or not, but I, I, um, I guess I'm always in the process of a new one. But right. Yeah, when you mention those names, I think back to them, and that that was album I recorded at home, which was nice, right in my living room. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, thank you. Oh no, of course, yeah, definitely. Like, so when when you're out on tour, like I, I imagine now you know, being the 20th anniversary of Oyster, you'd play a lot of that as well as 
Pearl, but how do you mix in and decide like other songs from your catalog? It's harder the more records you make, obviously, because right. you only have two hours to play in, yeah. and you have way more than that in songs. So it just kind of becomes a best of in the sense of like favorites I, I play. But then I also try to, I mean, I probably half the set will be the new record, and the other half will be a selection of songs from the past. Right. So, like, what do you listen to? Like, what, like, you know, what artists kind of inspire you? Um, I don't know. It depends. Like, sometimes it really depends on the weather. It depends right. on... Sometimes I'll go back to old favorites. Like, um, you know, even I'll put on a Bob Marley record or, like, you were mentioning Fleetwood Mac, I'll put their record on. But then I'm also listening to some new stuff. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was an artist I heard recently called Phoebe Bridgers. I thought she was oh, great. Yes. Yeah, she's great really enjoying her record um isaac gracie who's from the uk really enjoyed him um there was another woman i i saw live recently when i was in toronto called vera sola i thought she was great um so yeah kind of keeping it near to the ground but not I'm, I'm i also go back to old stuff right right definitely but uh pearl is out now go check it out it's a fantastic album and Heather, hopefully we'll see you soon in the States. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your show. And a special thanks to Heather for joining me today. Go check out Pearl. It's on all the streaming sites now, as well as her past catalog. It's fantastic. And you can thank me later. Her website is heathernova.com. If you want to follow her on Twitter, it's nova underscore says want to follow me on twitter i'm at the first nola one nine be sure to like the page we're living my youth on facebook go to itunes check out all the past episodes we've had while you're there please rate and review the show don't have itunes not a problem the show's on soundcloud it's on podbean go to livingmyyouth.threadless for all your living my youth merchandise new episode comes out every wednesday and we'll see you next week <laughs>